Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. Wilson! Wilson! This is Simon Rose joining me for the business of film. My ever is James Cameron Wilson as we look at what's been happening at the UK box office. So, James, I think last week we spoke about how box office was down, but it was a really good October. No, which it, oh, November? Sorry, yes. oh, was no, it, it was a good October. October. Good October. It was a very okay. good October. We're now in the, well into November, and I'm happy to say hmm. that last weekend the box office increased again by 4.3%. Although a lot of titles went down, there was one unexpected huge hit, which made £4.3 million in one weekend, which (laughs) is a lot of money, actually. And we are talking about Ghostbusters Afterlife. Now, my guess is you probably didn't see... Is that number one? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's put all the others in the shade. How much? Four point what? Three. Mm, okay. That's over a million pounds a day at the UK box office. So th- things are cheery. My guess is you probably didn't see the last Ghostbusters. Was the last one the all-female one? Which yeah. Very badly it's- reviewed, and I thought, mm, no. I can still, oddly enough, remember sitting in my seat for the very first Ghostbusters, because, of course, the music was just so fantastic, you didn't want to leave. Indeed, yes. Well, the, the last one, I think what happened was that once Hollywood realised that female-driven films grossed $45.5 million mm. more on average than films about men, mm. the studio scrambled to remake movies with strong female casts, like the Ocean's Eleven films, mm. which they turned into Ocean Eight with an all-female cast. And so we, we've also now got stars like Scarlett Johansson, Angelina Jolie, Gal Gadot, and Jennifer Lawrence, who can demand $20 million a movie, or $25 million in the case of Jennifer Lawrence. Mm. But the last Ghostbusters, which was released in July of 2016, with Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Wiig, Kate McKinnon and Leslie Jones was a complete car crash. It was a terrible film. It wasn't funny. It was a commercial disaster. Um, So the new one, considering, well, in the States, it grossed so far in under a week more than $52.5 million. So this is big news in our pandemic era. Is this Ghostbusters fans who who want to go and see almost anything to do with Ghostbusters or do you think it's a completely new audience? I no. think what it is doing is tapping in 
to the Stranger Things audience because it's right. got very much that vibe. Right. It's strong on characterization and nostalgia, which I think is what Stranger Things does really well. And it's also got Finn Wolfgard in it, who is in Stranger Things, but more of which uh, are non. It, it's, and it's not necessarily a return to the male-dominated scenario as top billing goes to Carrie Coon. And the real lead is McKenna Grace, who plays Coon's precocious, bespectacled, androgynous daughter, Phoebe Spengler. The latter made something of a splash as another child prodigy in the 2017 film Gifted. But since then, she hasn't really made her mark, but this should really do it. Carrie Coon plays Callie, who is finding it hard to make ends meet, and pretty near the beginning of the film, is evicted for not paying the rent. So she has only one option, to move into her father's deserted farm in Somerville, Oklahoma. She's always felt bitter about her father, Egon, for deserting his family, and it's hardly one round when, on his death, she finds that all he has left her is more outstanding bills and debt. She's accompanied by her geeky 15-year-old son, Trevor, played by Finn Wolfhard, and her nerdy 12-year-old daughter, Phoebe. Trevor gets her job at a local diner, doing the most menial of tasks, while Phoebe goes to summer school and is taught by the none-too-ambitious Gary Grubersome, played by Paul Rudd, who keeps his students occupied by showing them old VHS tapes of things like Cujo and Child's Play. Uh, this is wasted on Phoebe, who is more interested in science and chemistry and is prone to coming out with jokes to prove the point. Why can you never trust an atom? Because they make up everything. Uh, okay. Yeah. I laughed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though she's just 12. It's, one... yeah. Sort of, do you feel it's probably been in the Beano at some stage? But okay. <laughs> Uh, even though she's just 12, one feels a sense of security with her as she seems wiser than the adults around her. Yeah. But being a Spengler living on a dark uh, a dirt farm, and maybe I should explain that in the original Ghostbusters, Egon Spengler was played by Harold Ramis, to whom this film is dedicated. And I don't want to give away any surprises, but this is important to know. So Spengler lived on a dirt farm. She is, of course, an outsider, Phoebe. She then hooks up with a boy called Podcast, another outsider, played by Logan Kim, who can't wait to poke around her spooky place. However, Phoebe has already discovered her grandfather's PKE meter, which is like a Geiger counter for mm. psychokinetic energy. And with a little help from an unseen hand, she unearths a ghost trap from beneath the floorboards. Phoebe doesn't believe in ghosts, but she will take anything uh, that comes her way in her stride. And she says, overstimulation calms me. Inevitably, the ghost trap, which she has now shown to podcast and Gary Grubersome, releases a trapped spectre and things get crazy from there. You may remember that the first two Ghostbusters films were directed by Ivan Reitman. I do remember. Who is the producer of Ghostbusters mm. Afterlife. She's um, getting on a bit. Well, yeah, but 
it's directed by his son, Jason Reitman, who is oh. one of my favorite directors, who yes. has directed films like Thank You for Smoking. Which was wonderful. You know, yep. Do you know? Yep, also fantastic. Up in the Air. Yes. Young Adult, which I loved, and yes, Tully, I didn't, but yep. which yeah. I adored. Hmm. So he is a great writer, and here he has collaborated on the screenplay with Gil Keenan, who is a filmmaker in his own right, who knows his genre, having directed Monster House and the remake of Poltergeist. Reitman Jr. also knows how to get subtle deadpan performances from his cast, and all six of his principals, Carrie Coon, Paul Rudd, who I love, Finn Wolfhard, Logan Kim, Celeste O'Connor as Trevor's girlfriend, and especially McKenna Grace, are terrific. I was quite happy to hear Miss Grace tell her terrible jokes in her flat monotone for the rest of the movie. And because a lot of people don't realise she's telling jokes, she'll give a rather awkward <laughs> wink. She is an absolute scream. Uh, I've been following her career, but this is a real breakthrough for her. And I just like the performances. I, I'm not a huge fan of all the CGI, but I think fans of the original Ghostbusters will get a kick out of it. And I have been talking to non-critics who've seen it, and they've all loved it too. Interesting. I saw one review, which was pretty damning, I confess. So um, I'll have to make my own mind up, James. Thank you. So well, intriguing. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting because uh, the reviews I've read have not been good, but people I've talked to who have seen it have loved it. Yeah, well, we talk about that often happening with mm. with movies don't we critics yeah. sometimes might be out of touch it is possible just possible so that's number one uh, well we've got another new film so let's right. go down the chart at number two yep. we've got eternals which was at number one which is uh, chloe zhao's marvel superhero film which made 1.2 million pounds down 58 percent but i think all these other films are making way for ghostbusters Afterlife. It's now got a total of 12.8 million. At number three, there's a film called No Time to Die, down 40%, which is not bad compared to the other drops. It's now got a total of 94.5 million pounds. At number four, Dune, down one place, 46%, with a total of 20.1 million quid. And we have a new film at number five, King Richard. With Are we going to review this? If, if, if so, perhaps now would be a good moment to take a break. Can I tell you how much it made? Please do. As we're on the chart, it made £570,000. It should have made a lot more. Right. OK, well, that's King Richard. We'll be back in just a moment. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Simon Rose. You're listening to The Business of Film with James Cameron Wilson as he takes us down the UK box office chart. So we're at number five, is that right, with King Richard, which you say should have taken considerably more than the £570,000 it did take, which is relatively paltry. As you're probably aware, Will Smith is currently the favourite to win the Oscar next year for Best Actor. 
Oh, I don't think I did know that. Ah, he is the favourite for his no, role. Not, not many Will Smith films open in the UK with only a £570,000 take. That's because it's a good Will Smith film. <laughs> and he's playing a real <laughs> character and not a sci-fi superhero. Right, OK. He's actually playing the tennis coach, Richard yeah. Williams. And I see no reason why he shouldn't win the Oscar. I think he will. It is a barnstorming turn, being a warts and all portrayal, and not a sympathetic one, which one might have expected. Williams, who grew up in the ghetto in Louisiana, was determined that his two daughters, Venus and Serena Williams, would not suffer the same drawbacks that he did growing up. And so on one level, it's the story of enormous suffering, of what it meant to be a black man in a white society, but also a story of single-mindedness and hope. As most of us know, at least peripherally, who Venus and Serena Williams are, the film's final act will come as no surprise. But the journey there is it's just quite extraordinary. Venus and Serena Williams are world-class tennis players. But how do they get to be so good, particularly in a white man's sport? The answer is through dogged commitment and sacrifice. And so we see King Richard forcing his girls to practice in the rain at night and then punish them for boasting about their remarkable achievements on the court. He is an, an intractable and obsessive figure who drew up this plan from which he would never steer. It was a long-term, meticulously detailed strategy that defined what Venus and Serena ate, what they learnt, what they watched, and how they behaved. There's one scene where the family, which also includes the three daughters of William's wife, are a scene, sit down to watch Disney's Cinderella, apparently as a reward, a treat. But it's all part of the same game plan. After the film is finished, he wants to know what the girls have learnt from it. When they don't give him the answer he wants, he insists that they sit down and watch it all over again until the message gets through to them, i.e. it's all about Cinderella's humility. He wanted Venus and Serena to be the best that they could be, but not at the cost of their humanity. And good on the court, but good as human beings as well. Personally, I love films that spotlight prodigious talent, particularly on a winning streak. And even though the girls were forced to play on the worst surfaces in Compton, Los Angeles, the, which is a real ghetto, mm. it toughed them up for the better courts. I can't remember one film in recent memory when I felt so choked up on so many occasions. As Richard Williams persevered with his agenda, even at the cost of his own physical safety and the easy path to a lucrative endorsement or sponsorship. I just want to sit there here and tell you these amazing scenes, which really choked me up, but that would spoil the film for you. It, at times, it's almost unbearable to watch, particularly when, for Williams, his plan seems more important than the girl's early mm -hmm. success. There's good support, too, from Ingenue Ellis as Venus and Serena's mother. She's also tipped for an Oscar nomination. And a cast against type, John Bernthal, as the renowned tennis coach, Rick Matchy. I, I think if half of this story was true, 
it would be extraordinary. But I think most of it is true. Mm. Even though the executive producers happen to be Venus and Serena Williams, I, I think it is pretty close to the truth. And I like the fact that although it's about their father, who made them what they are, he's not portrayed as a saint. He's overbearing, he's impossible, he's difficult, he's stubborn. But he's got this great belief that his children will not suffer what he did mm. as a child. I'm just getting choked up just thinking about the film again. And I, I am a fan of tennis. It is my favourite spectator sport, and I enjoy playing it. So I, I think tennis fans may get more out of it. But tennis has always been a really hard sell at the box office. And I think that's why, A, it's a character study. It's not a Will Smith action hero where he's firing guns every five minutes. Mm. Mm. It is a character study. It is quite long. And it's about tennis, which is why I think it's not opening at number one. Intriguing, James. Intriguing. So it's number number five, and well, maybe it'll increase next week because of word of mouth. Um, I, hope, I really hope so. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so let's whiz down the whiz down the chart. Okay, at number six, we've got the Boss Baby Two Family Business, which was at number five, which has now got a total of six point nine million pounds sterling. Mm-hmm. At seven, we've got Spencer with a wonderful performance from Kristen Stewart as Princess Di, which was at number four, which now has a total of £2.3 million, directed by uh, Pablo Lorraine, who also did Jackie, about Jackie Kennedy, of course, Mm. played by Natalie Portman. At number eight, we've got Venom, Let There Be Carnage, which was at number six, down 47%, with a total of £17.6 million. Now, interesting, interesting fact here, are you aware that Michelle Williams is the female lead of Venom, Let There Be Carnage? No. Okay. I've not you... tried to find very much out about it. Didn't sound that nice. Uh, okay. Well, she is a tr- as you know, she's a terrific actress, uh, a multiple Oscar nominee. But do you know that globally what her highest grossing film has been? No. Ever? Presumably she was probably in some superhero movie at some stage, was she? Well, it's, it's Venom. That's her biggest oh, okay. film today. Yeah. But of course, she's very much an indie actress. And yes. the Oscar nominations she's received have been for smaller films. At number nine, we've got Ron's Gone Wrong, down love? only yep. one place, which I absolutely adore, down 34%, which is not bad considering how many of the films have dropped. That's mm. now got a total of £4.4 million. And at number 10, the Adams Family, two down three places, down 48%, with a total of 10.1 million. It has actually been a really good week. I did enjoy Ghostbusters Afterlife far more than I thought I would. I thought King Richard was much better, but uh, a, a terrific movie. Mm. But I have to say, on streaming, things have been even rosier. Oh, okay. And oh, we have to go back to Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, a film called Tick, Tick, Boom. I was rather put off by the title. So having praised Kristen Stewart's performance as Princess Diana and Spencer, mm-hmm. I now have to doff my cap to Andrew Garfield. In Tick, Tick, Boom, he plays the songwriter Jonathan Larson, who wrote Rent, and who, like Princess oh, yes, Diana, yes, yes. died in his mid-30s 
Garfield won't win the Oscar for Tick, Tick, Boom, but he sure as hell should get an Oscar nomination. Previously nominated for Hacksaw Ridge, Garfield has become such a part of the Hollywood landscape that people may forget he started out at the Manchester Royal Exchange, at one occasion playing Romeo, and was in Doctor Who and Linda LaPlante's Trial and Retribution. Personally, I thought he was better in Andy Serkis's directorial debut, Breathe, than in Hacksaw Ridge. But he's got a double whammy in the awards season this year. In the eyes of Tammy Faye, he stars opposite Jessica Chastain, playing Tammy's charismatic and hypocritical husband, Jim Baker. And in Tick, Tick, Boom, well, he's, he's just fabulous. In fact, everything about the film is really special. It marks the directorial debut of Lin-Manuel Miranda. Who is he? Well, he played the lamplighter Jack in Mary Poppins Returns. He wrote the musicals In the Heights and something called Hamilton. And he starred in the latter on Broadway. He really does have a feel for musical theatre and invests so much style and energy in Tick, Tick, Boom that it's impossible not to be swept away by it. Jonathan Larson's autobiographical music, it played off Broadway. And we see Garfield as Larson on an empty stage with just a mic and a piano and five musicians. And so Larson and Garfield and Miranda whisk us through his life as he struggles to meet the rent and juggle his social and monetary priorities. He works in a diner, has a very supportive girlfriend in Susan, played by the magnificent Alexandra Ship, and struggles to complete his sci-fi musical, Superbia. What can I say? The songs are terrific. Garfield and Ship are wonderful. And the story will break your heart. That is a guarantee. I've been listening to the soundtrack for days and can't wait to see the film again, preferably with somebody else to to share Mm -hmm. this amazing story. Considering that the musical has been on such precarious ground as a genre, it's quite something that 2021 has seen three major New York musicals. John M. Chu's adaptation of Lin-Manuel Miranda's In the Heights, Mm. which I really liked. It's nowhere near as good as Tick, Tick, Boom. Tick, Tick, Boom being another New York musical. And I can't wait for December the 10th next month when we get to see Steven Spielberg's take on West Side Story. My tickets are booked. Are they? Yes. I wasn't in charge of looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, I can't wait. I I expect fans of New York musical theatre, like me, may get more out of Tick, Tick, Boom. The in-jokes are there for the picking. But Garfield is so endearing and there's so much passion and great music and choreography. It's like a gift. If you don't know anything about Jonathan Larson, I shan't spoil the plot. But I can't imagine any group of artists who could have paid him a greater tribute. Mm. Well, that sounds absolutely wonderful. Uh, And was there anything else on on streaming you wanted to, to highlight, James? Well, I think I should mention another Netflix film called Bruised, which showcases an extraordinary performance by Halle Berry, who has never looked uglier. 
this is a woman who used to represent Miss America in Miss World. And here she's got puffed up eyes. She's got this um, dental guard which protrudes her teeth. She really should have a word with her director, except the director is Halle Berry. She is now, I think she's about 55 now. I saw this last night. I was pretty engrossed by this film. It's a terrible story about somebody who was at the top of their game, uh, a martial arts, mixed mixed martial arts champion, who then suffers a humiliating defeat and ends up becoming an alcoholic, and how she pulls herself up again when she discovers that the son she put up for adoption, who is now six, is living with her mother. Mm. Uh, And I would also like to say very briefly, because I know we have to finish, there is an extraordinary performance by a woman who becomes very instrumental in the character, Jackie, in the character's um, upturn. And she's played by an actress called Sheila Atim, who is androgynous. I wasn't entirely sure, because she's got a very high voice, but she's very, very tall, what gender she was. Mm. But quite remarkable. And she's played by Sheila Atim, who actually has an MBE and is Anglo-Ugandan. And there are just little bits in the film that made it very special. And I'm very proud I, of Halle. Sorry, I read that Halle Berry got, broke a couple of ribs in the making of the film. I'm, oh, absolutely. She really throws herself <laughs> into it. It is an extraordinary performance. Anyway, James, thank you very much indeed. That's it for this week for The Business of Film. We'll be back with more at the same time next week. You talking to me? Bond. James Bond.